All right, everybody. Welcome back to the showcase. I'm your host, Paris Jackson. Been a while since we did an episode. I uh, literally contribute that to the fact that the NBA season's been shut down. And matter of fact, everything's kind of been shut down. I hope everybody's staying safe and healthy during these uh, unprecedented times. Like I know California has been uh, locked down and extended uh, it the lockdown through the next couple of months, at least for you know Southern California, LA area. And uh, you know, as we see things open back up, hopefully we can all start looking towards sports and their return. You know, luckily we had, you know, UFC come back, which was nice. We have uh, some different European soccer leagues starting up this weekend. And so I think we're really heading in the right direction. I know a lot of states in the middle are kind of opening up as well that haven't been impacted as hard. So, you know, that being said, I think I thought it was a good time to kind of return. We uh, hadn't had any basketball developments really. I know um, Adam Silver came out the last couple of days, just said that, He's looking to have a definitive answer on whether the season's going to actually pick back up or just get tabled within the next two to four weeks here. So, you know, eyes on that. I know the uh, the players just received their first paychecks that had their salary reduction. So now they kind of feel the burn of uh, of everything that's going on with CV-19. So hopefully that helps resolve some, some uh, you know, thoughts about moving the season forward and, and getting it to a decision faster. With that being said, you know, I started looking back and, and th- thinking about different content that I could go ahead and, and produce. In the meantime, obviously, like, didn't want to go on such a long break that uh, everybody forgot about me. But, you know, wanted to do something a little bit different from what everybody else was doing as far as, like, looking back and, and what they're talking about. So, you know, what I decided to do was go ahead and take a look at these different seasons, all the NBA finals that's happened over the course of my life, starting with the 1994 finals, which which is today's episode is going to be about, you know, Houston Rockets versus the Knicks in that 1994 finals, which was a grueling seven game series. We saw, you know, Akeem Olajuwon versus Patrick Ewing, two of the premier bigs that were in the league at the time, um, you know, with with Jordan exit and everything. So that's what we're going to cover in today's episode. I want you guys to uh, sit back, relax and uh, enjoy this history episode of the showcase. Right, so we're going to jump right into it here. 1994 NBA Finals, Rockets-Knicks. I want to go ahead and set the stage a little bit about some of the stuff that was happening around the world um, as well as within the league during this year. So the season obviously started in 1993. Of course, you had the, the off season between the 93 and 94 seasons where, you know, some moves had happened. Um, but, you know, from a, a world event, perspective i wanted to go ahead and 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 just kind of paint the picture of of what was going on in the world some of the major events so bill clinton was the president during this time and uh he actually enacted nafta uh it was you know voted for in november and then actually passed through in january so you had that going on which was like a huge trade agreement um we go south of the border to colombia and pablo escobar finally is found and murdered in december um which actually you know for those of you who've done your history on, you know, drug cartels um, or have watched Narcos or Narcos Mexico know that, you know, when Pablo Escobar died is really when it opened up the opportunity for a lot of, you know, what would become the, the major Mexican cartel uh, drug trade that, you know, soon followed and, and uh, ushered in a new, new era of, uh, you know, kingpins 
for for rather so that i thought was a huge event um and that happened in december of this basketball season he also had the end of apartheid going on in south africa so you know um Nelson Mandela was was elected in in South Africa's first multiracial election, so that was huge. And you, you kind of get you know it's uh, like one one body out with Pablo Escobar going out, and then you know one major victory for South African race relations when you have Nelson Mandela being uh, elected. And you know a month later after after that happened, you actually have the the Northridge earthquake. Um, which was a huge earthquake. It's actually the third largest earthquake that's happened in my lifetime. Um, affected a bunch of people. Actually, stopped a game from happening between the Kings and the Lakers. I had to get postponed and rescheduled, um, uh, which was kind of crazy. And then there was actually one more major event that happened during this season that I'll, I'll save for a little bit later in the pod. But uh, you know, that's what's kind of going on in the world up until this point. I, I want to do that for each year moving forward, as as you know, we cover more and more years in the finals. Um, changing gears, kind of focusing directly on the NBA. Um, you know, not much really happening. A lot of trades, a lot of passing. I think a lot of a lot of teams saw this as an opportunity to kind of step up and fill a void. Of course, you have Michael Jordan retiring, um, you know, in August, right before the season starts. And, uh, well, three, two, three months before the season starts. But nevertheless, pretty, pretty soon um, before the season starts and a lot of teams are, are now clamoring to go ahead and, you know, seize the moment after the, what has appeared to be the end of the Chicago Bulls dynasty. So you get this first year where Jordan's gone, um, and the Bulls are kind of just replacing everything or not replacing him, but, but trying to survive in with the void of, of Michael Jordan being gone. Um, and you do have some other things going on in the season, like the Minnesota Timberwolves are, putting in a bid to actually relocate to New Orleans and become a basketball team there. So, you know, had this actually gone through, we would we would not today have the Minnesota Timberwolves and would rather have, you know, a New Orleans uh, potentially Pelicans team or Hornets team or New Orleans Timberwolves team um, a lot before this. But the, the NBA committee went ahead and rejected this to, um, you know, force Minnesota to go ahead and stay there. So I thought that was pretty huge. A um, couple of things going on in the NBA leading up to this. And that gives you kind of like a good idea uh, of where we're going um, at the start of this finals and, and what had, had transpired. Kind of bringing it into the start of the season, there's actually two trades that happen um, that directly, I feel like, impact not only how the finals went, but the rest of the season for both of these teams. So you have um, on August 2nd, 1993, literally two weeks before Jordan retires, you get Mario Ellie from the Blazers traded to the Houston Rockets for what would become uh, a second round draft pick and Don Reed. So probably some people you've never heard of because they didn't have a huge impact on the league. But Mario Ellie did get some pretty good minutes going into into the finals in a few different games um, and was definitely a, a contributing factor to the Houston Rockets, you know, eventual um, arrival to the finals. I won't give away who won just just quite yet. If you know, great. If you don't know, I'll, I'll try and save it to the end, create a little suspense here. Um, and then moving forward through the season on January 6th, 1994, you had a, um, a trade from the Dallas Mavericks. They traded Derek Harper to the New York Knicks um, for Tony Campbell and a 1997 first round draft pick. And uh, if you haven't heard of Derek Harper, he, he was really instrumental in um, not only getting 
the Knicks to the finals, but actually his performance in the finals, had they won, um, you know, would, would definitely be uh, considered, you know, either a candidate for finals MVP or actually have won the finals MVP over Patrick Ewing. And, um, you know, that's, that's something to think about uh, as we talk about the rest of these games here. Um, So, you know, that's pretty much it. Those were like the lands, the landscape of the season before the final started. And I I wanted to go ahead and just paint that picture for you of what had transpired during the season. You had um, one other thing that I forgot to mention here was, was the dunk contest. And, uh, you know, the rookie Isaiah Ryder actually won the dunk contest here. He would be the last rookie to win the, win the dunk contest until Kobe did it in 1997, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, And then I did some research about just the dunk contest in general and how many times a rookie has won it. And it seems to be almost every other year uh, of rookie ends up not only in the dunk contest, but winning the dunk contest. I don't know if it's because it's the the advantage of youth or just the fact that, you know, nobody had really been paying attention to these people and, and, and previous champions. We'd, we'd already seen the best they got when they entered. Um, but, you know, starting with Spud Webb in, in 1986, you have rookies winning pretty much every other year, the dunk contest, but, um, you know, and that was what was going on in the league. You had a couple of those those key trades that I mentioned um, and then, you know, the world events um, of kind of what was going on in 1994 up until, you know, um, this NBA finals, which took place in June of that year. And so, you know, I want to get into the games now, but um, let's go ahead and just take a break and then we will come back and, and talk about this final series. All right. So in the 1994 playoffs, you actually had a, a, some really good series. One one thing to notate about the Knicks is that at this time, they had played the most games that you could possibly play, uh, except for one. Um, every series that they went to, uh, including the finals, which ended in a game seven, of course, um, went to as far as it could, except for the first round. The first round, the Knicks defeated the Nets three to one. Um, at, at that time, the first round was best of five as opposed to best of seven as it is now, uh, which, which you've heard me talk about in previous episodes, but you know, um, so, okay. So New York beats out the nets and then they move on to face Chicago bulls. And this is a Jordan list bulls by the matter, but even still, um, you know, even with Jordan being gone, the bulls managed to make the playoffs and go ahead and take this to a seven game series against the Knicks and um you know it's really impressive for a team to do it's kind of like losing your star player and then coming back and doing well and I, I I hesitate to draw comparisons to you know just painting the picture of 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 the Golden State Warriors in this situation but you kind of you know in recent memory you, you of course these two teams get compared a lot as, as some of the greatest teams of all time along with the you know the three peat Lakers with Kobe and Shaq but um you know the Warriors went on you know, five straight finals. Um, and then you could argue that, you know, the last three where KD was on the team, they got two out of three championships. Um, and then of course fell, fell to the Raptors. And, you know, you can kind of argue that, you know, we, they lost their quote unquote best player, um, in Kevin Durant. And that would be the equivalent of them coming back this year, just as strong and, you know, making it deep into the playoffs. Um, unfortunately that didn't happen with the injuries to Clay Thompson and Steph Curry and, 
And, um, you know, just the team didn't rebound in the same way by not bringing the same vets back. But I think what the Bulls were able to do that the Warriors weren't was that they retained so many of their players from the previous championship run um, that they were in a position to go ahead and make this deep playoff run. And, uh, you know, that's exactly what they did. And, and you know, um, fortunately for the Knicks, they, they were uh, down one Michael Jordan. So they were able to go ahead and beat them and, you know, win that game seven and move on to the Eastern Conference Finals where they faced Indiana. Um, and Indiana was a great team at the time. They had Reggie Miller, uh, Jalen Rose uh, had just joined the team. And, you know, they had some other key players that really allowed them um, to make, you know, a few deep playoff runs in a row up until, I would say, like 98, 99. They were a really key team um, led by Reggie Miller, who arguably, you know, looking at the stats from the 1993-1994 season, Reggie Miller was a candidate for MVP. I mean, I think the only reason that Hakeem Olajuwon won it over him was uh, because of the emphasis not only on bigs during this era, but also Hakeem's defense was just so much better. I mean, he was averaging, you know, four or five blocks a game, uh, which is huge, along with like double doubles and, and, and rebound numbers that were off the charts. But Reggie Miller was a 50-40-90 guy, um, meaning, you know, 50% field goal, 40% from three and 90% from free throw shooting. I mean, that's, that's a, a very small club to be a part of, um, especially to do that over a whole season. But um, Reggie Miller was able to do it with this Indiana Pacers teams, which explains why they were able to make it to these uh, Eastern Conference finals. Um, they actually, in the first round, swept Shaq, Shaq's Magic, um, which was, you know, a great team that made the finals the next year. Um, Shaq and Penny team, you know, they made a documentary, a 30 for 30 about that team and, and Reggie Miller swept them with, with his team. So, um, you know, this, this series of course went to seven as well. Uh, the Knicks battled through that one and, and made it into the finals, um, you know, with, with some really strong play from, um, Patrick Ewing as, as well as, you know, Derek Harper, John Starks. Um, you know, it's, it's important to note that on this Knicks team, they, had Patrick Ewing, who's who's kind of like the main person that everybody knows. If you look at a stat sheet, he's consistently like their leading scorer. But they also had two other all-stars on this team in Charles Oakley as well as John Starks. And John Starks had averaged like 19 points a game. Um, and back then, I mean, it was it was pretty common for teams to score less than 100 points in, in a game. I mean, you know, 80 or 90 points is, is generally what teams scored. So for John Starks to be averaging 19, I mean, it's really impressive, especially for a guard during these times when, you know, bigs were really the focus of where the ball went and, and how teams drew up plays. Um, you know, the Knicks had a great team that, uh, you know, consistently just fell short of, you know, the gold of, of hoisting that Larry O'Brien trophy. Um, but this year they were able to, you know, conquer the Eastern conference and, and make it into the finals where they would face the Rockets. So, you know, hats off to them. Now, <clears throat> focusing on the other side, the Houston Rockets, I mean, they, they had, of course, Hakeem Olajuwon, which I would argue is, is the foundation player for, you know, a lot of these, these guys that look up to, um, you know, that, that current, you know, younger players look up to. I mean, players look up to, of course, like Kobe Bryant and, and, and Dirk Nowitzki and Allen Iverson and all those guys. But I think Hakeem Olajuwon is, is kind of who those players looked up to. I mean, the, um, the turnaround jumper, um, 
pretty much, I don't, I'm not going to say it started with Hakeem Olajuwon. I'm sure this was in a lot of people's tool belts, but he really was the one to go ahead and, and take it and make it his own. And um, I think it, it, it it's the starting point for, you know, Kobe's turnaround jumper. You see MJ, actually Michael Jordan, develop it after he comes back um, from his first retirement. He starts doing it more because, you know, he doesn't have really the legs to drive to the basket anymore. Um, and then you have the, the famous Dirk Nowitzki shot, which, you know, is an adaptation of, you know, the Dreams turnaround jumper that he was, you know, arguably automatic from. He was automatic. Like if he caught the ball and did a dirt turnaround jumper, I would say that was like a, a 50 to 60 percent shot going in, which is a, is high percentage based on, you know, the numbers um, for shooting numbers. Right. Like if you're anybody and you shoot, you know, 50 percent like from anywhere, that's that's really impressive. Um, and you know, for to be able to have your back to the basket and turn around and, and hit a shot all like that on one motion, it's, it's really good. And I think a lot of players saw that and, you know, made it a piece of their own game, like Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant or Dirk Nowitzki. Um, so, you know, if you do have an opportunity, you know, and you're bored or whatever, I, I would highly recommend going and watching Hakeem Olajuwon play because it serves kind of as the foundation for a lot of these other players. And, and you know, if you if you look into you know, players from not the 90s, but the, you know, the 2000s and the 2010s and, and who they were watching as they were growing up. A lot of them will say Hakeem, the dream, Elijah Wan. So, um, you know, the Rockets, of course, had him as the centerpiece. He was the league MVP that year. Um, and like I said, I think it's mainly based on his defensive play because he was not the leading scorer or the leading rebounder. Um, he led in actually no major categories, assists, steals, blocks, None of it. He he literally wasn't the leader, but he still was able to get most valuable player. Um, and he got defensive player of the year, which I think, you know, they go hand in hand for him getting most valuable player. Um, so, OK, so the Rockets were built around him. They had, um, uh, you know, Otis Thorpe. They had uh, a young Robert Horry, who was only in his second season. They had drafted Sam Cassell that year in the draft, um, who was a late draft pick but ended up playing major minutes in this final series and actually definitely contributed to the first of, of two championships that the Rockets won and um you know this team was just very well built um from a defensive standpoint uh, that the offense just flowed naturally Kenny the Jet Smith who a lot of people know from inside the NBA and, and different talking head shows halftime shows that type of stuff he's actually on this team um and and played it of course at the guard position and so anyway so they start off uh against portland um beat them 3-1 then the next series they come up against Char uh, charles barkley and the suns and that goes to seven games which um i think are, a lot of people would argue makes a lot of sense charles barkley was you know one of the top players in the league at that time definitely top three if not top two um maybe even the top with jordan being absent but you know, I, th I think he goes underrated because he never actually won a championship. Um, but anyway, that that series went to seven. They moved on to face, uh, you know, John Stockton, Carl Malone in uh, with the Utah Jazz. Nearly swept them, uh, finished that series in five games. So, you know, and made it into the, the finals to go ahead and face the Knicks. And I think that um, it matters a little bit because the Houston Rockets um, – up until, you know, the finals had played 98 games um, of the season, of course, like 82, like normal, and then went ahead and played the additional, 
you know, whatever that is, 15 games to go ahead and take them to up into the finals, whereas the Knicks actually played, you know, four more games with them, have a, had a little bit more rest before the actual finals started. And so, you know, they were a little bit more rested. I think they had five days instead of two of rest before before game one tipped off. And I think it really showed in the beginning of game one, um, you know, I have watched each of these seven games and I thought that the Rockets came off um, a, a little faster than the Knicks, um, played a little bit better defensively. Um, what was really great to watch in this series, as we, you know, transition to start talking about it, um, what was really great to watch was the Akeem Olajuwon Patrick Ewing matchup, which is phenomenal to watch. And, and really what it came down to, to both these teams was who can get these two guys the ball and what team did a better job of stopping him. And I think that, you know, that really showed the battle and you just see these these plays coming from all different types of players. So, like, in the first quarter, um, like I mentioned, the Rockets kind of get off to a fast start. Hakeem Olajuwon is 5 of 5. Um, and a lot of those is that turnaround jumper that I just talked about. And, you know, the Rockets get up to a big lead early. Um, Sam Cassell, who's a rookie at this time, hits this huge alley, not an alley, but huge windmill layup. Um, through traffic to extend the lead with about four seconds left on the clock in the first quarter. Um, and the crowd's just going nuts. So at, at this time, a little bit different format than what we have going on today. Uh, back in the day, it was uh, a, what's called a 2-3-2 format, meaning the first two games are played at, you know, uh, what considered the, the home field advantage team. Um, basically the team with a better record. Both both teams were a two-seed in their respective conferences, but Houston had a bit of a better record, so they got the home court advantage. So the first two games were played at home. The next three games will be played on the road in um, in New York, and then the, the, the last two games are, are back in Houston. And um, so anyway, so the first quarter starts. Houston goes off to a fast start. Elijah wants five of five. Uh, dude can't miss. Um, and then Cassell hits this crazy windmill layup to to cap off the first quarter. And then after that is when um, the Knicks kind of get their bearings a little bit and, and start coming back. Really, I think what what um, killed the the Knicks was was two part. I think that their legs really weren't under them. I think they were still tired from the series against Indiana. Um, and so in that sense, they just weren't able to keep up with the, the pace um, and the tenacity of the Rockets. And then I think the other piece of that was that Hakeem Olajuwon was an absolute monster. He came out like a man on a mission in these first couple quarters. And like, just to give you an idea, at, at one point in the second quarter, deep into the second quarter, Hakeem Olajuwon was 8 of 10 for 17 points, um, just a man on a mission. And then he had, in addition to that, he had a couple steals and a few blocks um, and was really just like taking it to the the – the the Knicks and, and they honestly just look gas. So anyway, you head into halftime, um, and some of that fire is lost. I don't I don't know what these teams were doing during halftime. Um, but in a lot of these games you'll have a team that starts off real hot and gets out to a big lead, um, and then, you know, halftime happens and either 
you know, you can call it adjustments or you can call it, you know, taking the foot off the gas. But this third quarter of the first game was really hard to watch. I mean, both teams, just to give you an idea, were shooting. Um, the, the Rockets were shooting about 54% heading into halftime. And the Knicks were shooting about 46 And uh, they came out in the second half of the game. Um, the Knicks shot 26% for the rest of the game, which which is awful. They're missing three out of four shots. And then the Rockets weren't much better. I think they came out at 32 Um and everybody just kind of looks gas. Um, and you see, and I think that starts translating into the next play because you start seeing them get a lot more emotional about how they're going. They're down by nine um, and things are just not going their way very much. And then you go into the fourth quarter um, and the Knicks just have this stretch where it's it is awful. Uh, they go two of 20, um, and like both teams are shooting under 25%. Um, th- that being said, they go two of 20, and then they still make it at only a six point game against the Rockets. Um, and this at the time was actually the NBA record for the lowest combined points in a quarter, in a fourth quarter, um, of a game, which was 26. So, you know, <laughs> imagine, uh, this is the NBA finals and these teams combined to make 26 points <laughs> in a whole quarter uh Snoresville you know it was very hard to watch um so that happened uh the one other thing that happened in the fourth quarter a fan got ejected for taunting uh, nobody knows what he said and I, I think at the time they, they wouldn't really broadcast what he said um you know during the actual game and I couldn't find anything afterwards what he said but he got ejected for taunting and, and he was getting into it with uh, a couple of the Knicks players anyway um so anyway the the Rockets pull that one out they end up winning um pretty decisive decisively control that whole game but um the Rockets end up winning it 85 to 78 um Hakeem Olajuwon finished with 28 points which is crazy. Um, but then, you know, game two rolls around. And I think that <clears throat> Pat Riley, who was the coach for the Knicks at the time, really started talking to his boys about, you know, what he was, what they were seeing um, and how they were getting beat because first quarter of game two, the coverage on Hakeem Olajuwon was way, way better. And I, I think just as a whole, not only on Olajuwon, um, they were able to lock down everybody else Um way way better in in the uh in that opening quarter um and go ahead and take a commanding lead and I, I, the first three games of this series what i what i noticed is like whatever team got out to a big lead and, and ahead early um usually pulled the game out so anyway um the knicks just played defense a lot better um kind of controlled the first quarter let up on the second quarter a little bit, but by the third quarter, um, had, had come back and, and regained control here. I think that Vernon Maxwell and the Rockets really kept them in the game. Um, even though, you know, it was pretty decisively, um, the Knicks game from the, from the jump. I mean, it got a little bit closer, um, in the third quarter as, uh, you know, the Knicks kind of went on, um, a little, you know, shooting streak missing streak again um you know which was bad but I think you get really good play out of a couple of guys here on the Knicks and John Starks and Derek Harper where like Derek Harper was four for four deep he finished the game seven of 11 for 18 points um which is huge when he only scored 91 John Starks um similar numbers six of 11 three of four of deep 
and uh, you know, 19 points from him, um, which was great. And I, I also think you got to kind of tip your hat to Charles Oakley, who just wouldn't let them lose from a, a, a rebounding point. And by the end, you know, it looks like the the Rockets are in a position to make this game a lot closer and actually take over um, and potentially win. Where you know the the Knicks end up going on a seven four run real real late, um, capped off with a huge block by Patrick Ewing um, to go ahead and give give them the game. Um, Derek Harper also hits a dagger three when it's eighty four to 81 and you know the Knicks end up squeezing this game two out um 91 to 83 so which I thought was you know really impressive for them to get out to a really early lead then it gets kind of like brought back and tied up and then they go on this huge run at the end of the game one of the notes I made about this this whole game especially in the the third quarter as well as into the fourth it's like Patrick Ewing's really like non-existent on the offensive end it's kind of funny um He's one of those players where you don't really see huge contributions from him, like, you know, running plays or, 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 you know, driving in the hoop like like a guard would, because obviously he's a big. But all that being said, like, you look at his stat sheet, he's getting like 16, 20, 25 points a game in these first couple of games. Um, And it's almost like how? I mean, he's I mean, don't get me wrong. He's pretty much on the court the whole time. He played 46 minutes in the second game and and finished with 16 points. But um you know, they all just came as like putbacks and, and that types of things. I mean, he was seven of 19 overall. So his shooting percentage wasn't great. Um, I think he took a lot of shots that maybe were a little far for him, but I think that was just the norm of the day. Um, then you look at the other side of the court, Hakeem Olajuwon finished with 25 points on 10 of 21 shooting. So obviously they did a much better job of locking him up and, um, you know, we're able to squeeze this one out. So now we're going back to New York and we're knotted up at one. Um, and New York is just a, a total, total different ball game. So um, before I get into that, let's just take a quick break and we'll come back and, and continue where we left off here. All right. Game three is the first game that's in New York. And, and here it's, I think it's actually, you know, I spoke a little bit about the battle between Patrick Ewing and Elijah Wan and, and which team would do a better job of of locking him down. And I think in game three is where you really see that start to, to formulate. Um, and really this kind of in the first quarter, at least was a battle between John Starks, the all-star for the New York Knicks. And then Robert Horry of all people who was only in his second season in the league. Um, but he had 10 points in the first quarter and, you know, John Starks kind of picked up where he left off in the last game. Um, and, but more importantly, the Rockets just got off to a, to a real hot start, ended up outscoring, the Knicks 26-18 and really just never took their foot off the gas for the rest of the game. Um, you know, it, it was really impressive to see what they did in the second second quarter. I mean, they went on a 17-5 run and were up 16. Um, and John Starks, along with Charles Oakley over on the Knicks, just really would not, not let them lose. Um, you know, I, I made a note here for, for the second quarter is Charles Oakley is keeping Knicks alive through sheer effort, grabbing boards and assists. And uh, I made another note that said, still waiting for Ewing to step up. Um, you know, defensively, of course, he, of course, I made that note. He, he has a big block at the end of the second quarter to at least keep it a little closer. But, you know, that 17 to 5 run by the Rockets in the second just really put them ahead. 
by a ton of points. Um, and, you know, you're going into halftime with this huge, huge lead for the Rockets. But, you know, you come out of halftime and there's a 10 minute stretch, 10 minute stretch out of a 12 minute quarter where the Rockets don't score any buckets. And this is where you see the Knicks slowly start to chip their way back into the game. Um, and, you know, and then you move into the fourth quarter. And again, you get Charles Oakley and Derek Harper kind of putting the team on their back for the Knicks. And at this point, you know, this is actually a game that turns into a hardwood classic game because of how close it is and how much of a battle it is, the comeback by the Knicks. And actually, it's the rookie Sam Cassell who had 15 points in the game but decided to come alive at the end of it. He scored seven straight for the Rockets off a three-pointer and, and some free throws to go ahead and seal it. It was uh, 84-84. And Sam Cassell scores seven straight to make it 91-87. And then uh, a late foul, which, you know, doesn't really matter um, at this point because there's only a few seconds on the clock, uh, puts the Rockets up 93. And then a late basket by the Knicks, final score makes it 93-89. But I just thought it was really impressive for Sam Cassell as a rookie to come into this game and uh, go ahead and take over at the end and bring the Rockets to a 2-1 lead over the Knicks at home. They actually stole a game on the road. Of course, the Knicks stole a game in, in game two by beating uh, the Rockets 91-83. But, you know, for, for them to go into New York, which is absolutely buzzing at this time, uh, and I say that because the New York Rangers were in the Stanley Cup as well, um, at the same time playing playing home games the same time as the Knicks were. Um, so you can just imagine being in New York at this time when your hockey team and your basketball team are both competing for a championship um, and just playing at the highest level possible. Um, I, was, I was looking into it and they were saying the, the people that were there during the time like didn't sleep for like two months basically um, because of the hype around both these teams and and really what that meant for the city of New York to have these teams go go crazy like this. Um, so game three was really fun to watch. I, I would re- recommend it for anybody that, you know, has an hour and a half, two hours on their time. Um, just jump on YouTube and, and go ahead and watch this because the 17-5 to run in, in, in the second quarter and for that to be overcome um, by the Knicks, for them to go ahead and, and make this a close game is, is really impressive. Um, you know, so that was game three. Moving on to game four. Uh, you know, the Knicks down two to one at their home court. They they really came out to to run this game. Um, they went ahead and uh outscored the Rockets nineteen to fourteen in the first um quarter, and then you know extended their lead to seven, moving into the into halftime. Um, pulling up a couple of notes from this game. I mean, the the Knicks opened up the game here with a seventeen to two run. Um, which is incredible. And then um, the Rockets actually countered with a 12-2 to run um, to make it a lot closer. And that, that, like I mentioned, it was 19-14. to um, Sam Castell's still going off, but Patrick Ewing actually shows up for this game, at least in the, in the first, first part. Um, you know, he ended up finishing with 16 points on 41 minutes, but, you know, a lot of those points came in the the first quarter, um, you know, moving into the second half, the Knicks carry a seven-point seven lead, but the Rockets are able to go on a 14-1 run, 
run where literally the Knicks just didn't have an answer for Elijah Wan. Um, you know, they're doing this crazy run, and actually Robert Horry goes down hard and has to sit out, which allows the Knicks to go on a 7-0 run to close out the third. Um, but we're entering the fourth, and everything's knotted up pretty much, 61-60. Um, with the Rockets actually in the lead, thanks to their run that they went on. Then you have uh, Derek Harper hits his fourth three in this game um, for the go-ahead bucket for the Knicks late. And, and Derek Harper had been shooting well, well this whole series. He was 14 to 26 at this point. Um, and at, then you see Horry come back in, um, gets a big block on Derek Harper on one end, runs to the other end, shoot, shoots the alley-oop to Elijah Wong, which is incredible to watch. And then immediately heads to the locker room. He's out for the rest of the game, um, which potentially could have been kind of like a turning point in this whole series if Robert Horry hadn't come back. Um, and I was really kind of surprised to see the the coach of the Rockets go ahead and play these young players so much. I mean, um, you know, Robert Horry being in his second season, Sam Cassell being a rookie, and they're getting major, major minutes throughout this whole series, um, you know, playing 32 and 33 minutes respectively just in this game alone but uh you know John Starks who I haven't really mentioned this whole time I did mention he was an all-star earlier in the podcast but John Starks is actually the one that go ahead and closes this game out for the Knicks shows why he's an all-star kind of attacking the rim and and getting a bunch of free throws in this one he's able to lead the team to victory on his 20 points he had you know only four assists literally the rest of the stat sheet is pretty much blank but of those 20 points, 11 of them came in the fourth quarter in this game four. And, you know, he was able to close out uh, the Rockets who were missing Horry, who didn't play, you know, the rest of the game due to injury. So <clears throat> we're 2-2. We're tied up 2-2 heading into our last game in New York. Um, and it's immediately intense. Game five is probably, other than game three, the most impressive game of this whole series, I would say. Game three, I think, is impressive because you have the 17-5 to run, um, and then you see the Knicks kind of dig their way out of the the 16-point deficit, even though they would eventually lose. But game five, I mean, the emotions are high. The intensity is high. Like, the defense is incredible. Um, and you just see these teams, like, really dig deep and want to win this game, um, which I thought was just so great to watch. And then the other thing is that these like Elijah Wan Ewing battle really reaches a, its boiling point of, of you know Elijah Wan's getting blocks on Ewing Ewing's running to the other end getting blocks out rebounding each other boxing each other out and it's it's a great battle between them but I think you know this is where the Rockets finally figured out hey like this is how we're going to get the ball to Elijah Wan and this is how he's going to be able to go ahead and take this game over. Um, you know, he does have four turnovers in the first quarter, but after that, he really cleans it up. It seems like every single play is just a swing, 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 inside pass, um, and then, you know, a quick turnaround jumper for Elijah Wan to go ahead and, and give him an easy bucket. But at the same time, this is easily the best half Ewing's played all series. Um, and they're just going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Um, you know, Turnovers are, are absolutely killing the Rockets, but, you know, the Knicks are 
they're turning these turnovers into fast break points. They actually go on a 14 to three run during the quarter, um, which is actually interrupted. So if you go back and watch this game, you'll realize that it's on June 17th, 1994. Um, and you know, of course, I don't expect you to remember exactly what happened on this random day in June, but you, I think you will because this game is being broadcast on NBC, and the, the only other thing that would take you away from this game um, and is also being broadcast by NBC, this is the day that the OJ Bronco chase happens. So, you know, I'm watching, I'm watching game tape game five and randomly in the second quarter, like the Knicks are going on this crazy run and the broadcast team just cuts out. Like you don't even hear anything. Um, and they're gone for a couple minutes and then they come back and it turns out that the OJ chase had been happening, um, which was absolutely crazy. So then you head into halftime. The Knicks have this huge lead because they just went on this crazy run that got totally interrupted um, by by the OJ chase. And so if you were at the time watching this game, you see like, you know, the the game gets cut away. There's there's broadcast news on OJ Simpson, what he's doing in the white Bronco in, in Southern California, um, and the game's tied up, but you miss a lot of the second quarter, so you come back, and the Knicks are at this huge lead over the Rockets, and then actually the game cuts away for most of the third and fourth quarter. There's no announcers if you're watching this game. So I'm watching this game, of course, and it's a straight battle, um, but for the, the vast majority of America at the time, they had actually missed this, this great game because of O.J. Simpson and the Bronco chase, um, which was kind of just like a cool piece of history to kind of like relive because obviously like there's no announcers. Um, you know, you even have Bob Costas, who was like the longtime sideline reporter, not sideline reporter, but one of the main, you know, TV personalities during the, the league this time, um, him along with Ahmad Rashad. And even it was stated that he was caught watching the OJ chase instead of actually watching the game that he was at um, on a separate monitor, which I thought was incredible. Um, but anyway, so this chase is happening. The Rockets go on a 17-5 run um, in the third quarter. Everything's knotted up in the fourth quarter. There's no announcers going on. Um, but then, you know, the the Knicks out, outplay the Rockets in that fourth quarter, go ahead and, and take a 3-2 lead over the Rockets, heading back to Houston to play at the Summit. Um, and, you know, this these next couple of games, it's it's pretty much all Rockets all the time. I mean, um, the Knicks definitely kept it close in game six. Um, actually, it came down to the wire. Um, the Rockets got up to a 10-point lead at halftime, which was erased in the third quarter. Um, behind great play from John Starks, Charles Oakley again, Derek Harper, uh, Patrick Ewing is nowhere to be seen pretty much. He's 6-20 this game. Um, but, you know, the play from Elijah Wan, Robert Horry, uh, Otis Thorpe, and Kenny the Jet Smith is too much for the Knicks to overcome. And in the fourth quarter, they end up losing uh, to the Rockets on a couple late, late game shots. And it ends up being 86-84 Rockets. We're tied 3-3 heading into Game 7. And I think I think when teams go this way and, and, and they're up, uh, they win Game 5, they're up heading into Game 6, I think what happens a lot in these playoff series is that there's a, definitely a momentum shift from one team to the other. 
I mean, um, you know, backs up against the wall in game six. Houston has, you know, the crowd going absolutely nuts because obviously they don't want their team to be eliminated. You have the home, obviously home court advantage, got all that adrenaline. And then you get, you know, some, some really, really strong play from not only your role players, but from your main guy, Hakeem Lajuan. He scored 30 points in game six to go ahead and knock this series up. And I think, you know, with everything else that, that, that was going on for the Knicks, they just kind of get defeated. Um, before this seventh game even starts, I mean, the, the Rockets come out, kind of smack them in the mouth in the first quarter, but you know, the Knicks hang in there at halftime, the, the Rockets really only have a three point lead. Um, and then it is a battle for the rest of the, the game that there are some lead changes, but honestly, I think it was, is really clear, um, about two minutes into the fourth quarter, the Rockets go up by, you know, seven or eight and just really never look back. Um, kind of do that cat and mouse thing where it's like the Knicks make a bucket, bring it closer, they're within four, Rockets make a bucket, extend the lead, um, and it's like that for the rest of the game. Of course, there's the whole, you know, hack of whoever game, uh, foul game that, that gets played at the end of the game that really extends, probably adds another 15, 20 minutes to the whole game seven. Um, but the Rockets are able to, to squeeze it out, win two back-to-back games at home, um, and go ahead and end up hoisting up that Larry O'Brien trophy, which was the uh, the first of two for Hakeem Olajuwon and, and that Rockets team, and really just kind of um, allowed them to, to step up. I don't I don't think really the Knicks ever came back um, from that. I don't, they definitely never got as close again for the rest of uh, for the rest of their you know, franchise history. Of, of course, everybody knows in the 21st century, the um, the Knicks have just been awful as far as uh, their playoffs hopes and, and where they end all the time. But yeah, it looks like uh, well, they made the playoffs in the, the 2010s, um, early 2010s, but they got swept and everything. But yeah, I mean, the Knicks never really got this close again and, and kind of blew it. And, and you just start to see the team get dismantled after the season and but it was a great series it was a great series that went to seven games i highly recommend watching it if you have some time in your board um 1994 i think was just a crazy year overall um not only in basketball but also just in the world with what you had going on and and things that were happening um so it was it was fun it was a cool little project to take a look at at 1994 and 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 this little slice of basketball history i hope uh I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope, you know, uh, you were able to learn something um, about this season and, and, you know, these players and, and what kind of went on in the game. It was, it was really fun to watch. Um, and I highly recommend people going back and, and watching that game three and game five of this series, kind of seeing these these players, some of the, um, you know, it was nice to see Kenny Smith with hair, that type of thing, and, and kind of relive these moments, of, you know, reliving the OJ chase uh, and what it was like in, in different parts of the sports world, um, which was, it was nice. It was crazy. It was, it was a good experience. Highly recommended. Um, you know, in, and, you know, moving forward, I'm, I'm, the next episode was going to be about the next final series, which, uh, the Rockets were in again. They played the Magic, you know, the Shaq and Penny, um, Magic team that was able to do so much, but, um, you know, that's it for this episode, guys. Uh, thanks for hanging out with me and, and reliving a, uh, 1994 basketball final season and, um, you know, stay safe out there and, and talk to you next time.